The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Who killed her? Same man that's trying to pull off Pandora. You mean they're trying to make it happen? This is even worse than I thought. All right, talk. I need to go inside first. You're not going anywhere until you tell me about Pandora. What is it? It was the name of a white paper that I wrote. For whom? I was hired by a think tank to identify weaknesses in U.S. security so they could be shored up, protected. I found an alarming vulnerability, a linchpin that was tied to the economy that would cause crisis and devastation behind anything we'd ever seen. The dominoes would just never stop falling. I asked Tracy to follow up with a think tank, but they don't exist. Whoever they are, I gave them the blueprint that will bring about the end of our country as we know it. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 24, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be That blueprint that'll bring about the end of our country as we know it was written a long time ago and is now referred to as the Great Reset, Agenda 21, Fighting Climate Change, the Green New Deal, and of course, Fighting the SARS-CoV-2 Pandemic Virus, among other ever-changing terms and phrases. Something akin to the Great Reset has been the subject of many a folklore and science fiction show or drama. Especially, you know, those James Bond movies where there's always some psycho who wants to take over the world. And apparently today, that psycho is Klaus Schwab, the person who wrote the book on the Great Reset. Bill Gates, George Soros, and the rest of the gang are right in there with him. And having just had all of our Christmases reset, consider this holiday season bit a taste of what some people have planned for the rest of us. Something we don't get to consent to. And yet the real tragedy is that there are always those who do consent to this. It's one of the many Christmas season tragedies that we'll be forced to cope with, as we shall see right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on channel 292 shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archive broadcasts. And of course, as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. Well, here we go again. Ontario Premier Doug Ford is continuing his fascist agenda in tandem with other governments around the world, all working together to implement their Great Reset, although they aren't calling it that. It's a broken record promoting a broken record. Ontario planning to implement province-wide lockdown, including school closures, says the report from Global News on December 20th. Quote, Global News has learned the Ontario government is currently planning to implement a province-wide lockdown beginning Christmas Eve. 
The government was expected to implement a 28-day lockdown for most of the province, while the north would be subject to a two-week lockdown. Under the gray lockdown level of the province's coronavirus response framework, restrictions include a ban on indoor social gatherings with anyone outside your household, the closure of many non-essential businesses and most fitness facilities, and limiting restaurants and bars to takeout service only. Ford is also expecting to extend restrictions on outdoor activities such as cross-country skiing or outdoor skating. This is unreal. Ford is expected to describe this as a circuit breaker aimed at breaking the chain of transmission that has caused case counts to quickly climb, putting pressure on many hospitals. Well, there's the same old story over and over again. This could have been written in February, March, April, May, June. It's the same story. We'll hear Ford's actual announcement in a few minutes. Turned out the lockdown was declared for Boxing Day, not for Christmas Eve, but Ford still advised Ontarians not to get together for Christmas Day. His fascist assistant, Christine Elliott, announced that, quote, we've flattened the curve before and we will again, end quote. Well, as we all know, there never was a curve to flatten, so to say we flattened it is pure propaganda. It's calculated to get us to believe that it was the lockdowns that flattened the curve when the curve was flattened all along. This exact scenario is what I predicted on the very first show when we discussed COVID-19. If the curve was flattened, then it was because of the lockdowns. If the number of deaths exploded, well, it would have been worse had it not been for the lockdowns. You know, anything that goes wrong in terms of not meeting the government's demands and expectations they would simply blame on us, right? Heads I win, tails you lose. That's the whole scenario. Our own mayor here in London, Ontario, is quoted in the December 18th London Free Press as saying, quote, Our biggest risk right now, at least in the short term, are holiday parties and Christmas gatherings. We simply can't do it this year. It's too risky. It's too dangerous, London Mayor Ed Holder said. This begins and ends with us, end quote. Well, I recall during the middle of this past summer when all of the cases were at an all-time low, Holder mandated the wearing of masks in the city and at that time did not say anything about trying to control or slow a virus, but he literally said what they wanted to do was get people used to wearing masks, which I'm paraphrasing here, but I recall quoting directly after the mandate was declared. So I'd like you to keep these actions in mind with respect to their role in Agenda 21 and all of the other agendas masked under different names. And as usual, all our politicians are doing is counting cases and determining their suicidal course of action on these fake stats. You know, I've reached a point now where it is impossible for me to separate the discussion of COVID-19 from a discussion of Agenda 21, the Great Reset, and all the other irrational manifestations of these agendas, which are indeed conspiratorial. But of course I realize I will still have to compartmentalize these issues in order to be able to discuss them rationally and to counter the steady drone of fake news and information being fed us by the mainstream media and our politicians. But if we ever forget in, say, our discussion of COVID-19, that this phenomenon is merely part of these political agendas, well, then none of it will make any sense. And that's exactly what is happening. When people begin to question all of the irrational and stupid rules and regulations that we're being told to obey. You know, sit down, take your mask off, stand up, put your mask on, you know, turn around, you know, do-si-do. I'm not kidding you, it's that stupid. And all in the name of slowing a viral spread. 
give me a break. Anyone with even the most rudimentary understanding of viruses would know that this is all BS, and I think a lot of people do know. But, and this is critical, all of the BS makes perfect sense in the context of the bigger picture. The Great Reset, Agenda 21, Global Warming, COVID-19, the Green New Deal, and all of the identity politics, etc., etc. So with those considerations in mind, on this side of our upcoming bumper, here's a sampling of Dave Cullen from his December 20th Computing Forever show in conversation with author of the book Behind the Green Mask, UN Agenda 21, Rosa Kaur, who apparently is associated with Democrats against UN Agenda 21, believe it or not, yes, a Democrat, and then, as promised, Ontario Premier Doug Ford on the return side of the bumper. What I would ask is, and I know you get you get asked this a lot, can you summarize for people Agenda 21, when it began, and the, just the level of pervasiveness now, all of these agendas, all of these policies that all our countries and politicians have signed up without our knowledge, and ultimately where this is leading for the 21st century? Um, all right, so here's what United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development is a real plan it is a conspiracy but it is not a theory it's a conspiracy fact it was agreed to it is a united nations plan uh agreed to in 1992 by 178 nations including ireland the united states the all the uk and uh, 178 nations plus the holy see it is the comprehensive blueprint it's the action plan to inventory and control all land all water all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all energy, all education, all law enforcement, all food production, all information, and all human beings in the world. It is a totally comprehensive plan. It's a completely pervasive plan. It is the plan to inventory and control everything on the planet, including you. It was a voluntary, non-binding plan with the United Nations, but it was brought back into your country by your country, by your federal governments, and uh, agreed to by your government to implement. Now, it is a global plan, but it's implemented locally. So the way you see it is, you know, you see it as any number of names. You never see it called Agenda 21, and that's one reason why you know, a lot of people say, well, hey, you know, I don't see it. I don't know what it is. It's a plan to globalize the entire planet. Now, uh, nation, the nation state is vestigial. The idea is that we will move out of the nation state and into the global single world government. So that's what the plan is designed to do. It is happening. That is why so many more people are aware of it now, because it is coming out of the shadows. I called my book Behind the Green Mask because it wears the green mask of environmental concern, but it is not about real concern for the planet. It's really about control, inventory and control. Giving you an honest assessment of where we stand today in Ontario. We saw this morning's modeling that our COVID-19 numbers continue to accelerating at an alarming rate. Unfortunately, despite the restrictions, 
We've seen growing numbers of people traveling between regions within Ontario. COVID is spreading rapidly from high outbreak areas to areas with fewer cases. As it does, our hospitals are filling up more each day. We've seen a 70% increase in hospitalizations and 80% increase in ICU admissions in the past few weeks. My friends, above all, we need to preserve capacity in our ICUs and our hospitals. But because of increased cases of COVID-19 filling up our hospitals, we're on the verge of canceling more elective surgeries. And we already have thousands and thousands of backlog surgeries. My friends, we've seen in other jurisdictions what out-of-control caseloads and deaths look like. And I am also extremely alarmed by reports of a new strain of COVID-19 that is much more contagious than what we've seen and what we've been facing so far. This is an extremely serious threat, one we must take seriously. Otherwise, the sacrifices were once again asking Ontarians to make, therefore nothing. Friends, the vaccine has started to trickle in, but due to limits in supply, it will be months before we have mass immunization. We need a runway for the vaccine to roll out. That's why after consulting with the Chief Medical Officer of Health, listening to hospital CEOs and other health experts, and extensive discussions at the cabinet table and caucus throughout the weekend, I'm announcing today that Ontario will enter a province-wide shutdown starting at 12.01 a.m. on December 26. This difficult action is without a doubt necessary to save lives and prevent our hospitals from being overwhelmed in the coming weeks. Make no mistake, thousands of lives are at stake right now. If we fail to take action now, the consequences could be catastrophic. As Premier, it falls on me to make the difficult but necessary decisions. This province-wide shutdown, it's a temporary but one-time measure in response to the exceptional circumstances we're facing. We're asking all Ontarians to stay at home and only leave when absolutely necessary, such as work, groceries, prescriptions, or medical appointments. Essential businesses, such as grocery stores and pharmacies, will remain open at reduced capacity. Other retailers will be open for curbside pickup and deliveries only. The restrictions will be made in place for a period of 14 days in Northern Ontario and for a period of 28 days in Southern Ontario. Dr. Williams and his team will keep a close eye on what the data tells us to determine if it's safe to lift any restrictions or if they need to be extended. The risk of interprovincial travel and further spread is a real concern. We've seen that people are moving from regions to region and bringing COVID with them. The health officials are telling us that province-wide action is needed if we're going to break these trends.
but we will continue to monitor the data and make adjustments if necessary. As part of this shutdown, we're also looking at our schools. I want to be clear, schools are not part of the problem of COVID in our communities, but out of an abundance of caution, school closures over the winter break will be extended. Asking students and staff to stay home a little longer will help ensure we do what's needed to control the spread. These are decisions that are extremely difficult, but they're absolutely critical. And I know how much our businesses are struggling. We will be launching the new Ontario Small Business Support Grant, which will provide a minimum of $10,000 and up to $20,000 to be eligible small business owners to help them through this challenging time. Every day, we learn more about this terrible virus. And the hard truth is that it's not going anywhere until we're able to vaccinate more Ontarians. So as we enter this province-wide shutdown, I've asked Dr. Williams to work with our public health experts to review what lessons we've learned about COVID and about our framework and what updates could be implemented as we continue to roll out vaccines. My friends, I've said it before and I'll say it again, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And I've seen how resilient and strong we are as a people during this first wave and now into the second. The vaccines are on their way. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm asking everyone to stay strong just a little bit longer. Together, we will get through this. Every word uttered by Doug Ford was not only BS, but right out of Agenda 21. A global plan implemented locally, remember? Everything Ford said was almost verbatim repeated by politicians at every level all around the world, in England, Ireland, Australia, all across Canada, you know, etc. So it is not a plan that in any way addresses any specific local concerns or conditions. That BS just handed it to us by Ford could just as easily have been Boris Johnson in Britain. Same script, same reset. It's remarkable how coordinated this all is on a global level. Here in London, I recall Robert Vaughan and I discussing how the United Nations plan was being implemented in our city, with simple things like the ridiculous narrowing of roads, islands jutting out into the roads, speed bumps at every opportunity, you know, green agendas, turn your car off, don't idle. All of these things are part of the UN's agenda to get us out of our cars and do anything that they consider to be green, quote-unquote. And that's all in writing. Been there, done that. But purporting to present quote, an honest assessment of where we stand in Ontario today, end quote, Ford instead took the dishonest route, misrepresenting concepts, statistics, percentages, and numbers in the same way we've been witnessing since day one of the COVID panic. Unfortunately, despite the restrictions, we've seen growing numbers of people traveling between regions within Ontario, says Ford. Really? <laughs> despite the restrictions? Hello? Doug? It's because of the restrictions that people are traveling to areas not restricted. It's your fault, Doug, in two distinct respects. The one we just mentioned, your lockdowns, and the one that says that you have no right to tell other citizens in the province when and with whom they may associate. That is just simply immoral. You should be the one being locked down. We've seen a 70% increase in hospitalizations and an 80% increase in ICU admissions in the past few weeks, says Ford. Well... 70%? 80%? Why are they now using a percentage again, this time instead of a number? 
Well, because Ford knows that the actual numbers are low. So to mislead and frighten us, he uses percentages this time. Remember, if the number of patients increased from 1 to 3, that's a 66% increase in caseload. And you'll recall how on a previous show, we cited an article that did the opposite. It cited the numbers instead of the percentages because the percentages were so low. But a number like 6,274 cases sounds impressive until you realize that that might be 0.002% of a given total number. And never mind that a case is a nothing to begin with. We need to preserve capacity in our ICUs and our hospitals, says Ford, after having promised to correct that very problem way back in the spring. That's why we shut down for two weeks. To flatten the curve, everything will be fine, we'll get up, we'll get everything going. How come we're doing the same thing again? Ford says there are increased cases of COVID-19 filling up our hospitals, yet every health professional and doctor we've heard from on this show says that this is simply not so. The hospitals might be filling up, but not with COVID patients. I mean, they're twisting all this so incredibly slimily. My friends, we've seen in other jurisdictions what out-of-control caseloads and deaths look like, says Ford. Well, the other jurisdictions that he might be referring to could be New York, where Governor Cuomo was solely responsible for the caseload numbers and deaths there, or in Italy, where we now know that most of the elderly who died in that flurry of deaths had all received a vaccine in the months ahead of having encountered the virus, a circumstance which was stressed by a few of the doctors we featured on past shows. But Ford has certainly deflected his province's failures by trying to get us to believe it was worse elsewhere, when even that is not true, considering all of the relevant factors mostly relating to political agendas. Out of November 15th, 10,947 deaths by COVID across the country, only 895 occurred outside Ontario and Quebec, with 3,329 having occurred in Ontario's long-term care facilities. And still, nothing has improved in Ontario's hospital capacity, despite Ford's commitment to do so when the pandemic was first announced. But here's the kicker. Quote, And I'm also extremely alarmed by reports of a new strain of COVID-19 that is much more contagious than what we have been facing so far. This is an extremely serious threat, says Ford. Notice the constant threat, fear, 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 be afraid, be very, very afraid. You know, I was wondering when that line was going to be used. It was just inevitable. Heard an AM radio report while driving around town on Monday wherein the news announcer noted that there have already been at least a dozen mutations of the original COVID-19 virus, even though COVID-19 is not a virus. (laughs) She was referring to what was once the SARS-CoV-2 virus, but can it even still be called that after a dozen mutations? This BS is also predictable and scripted. It's pathetic. And then, of course, the punchline, the Agenda 21, the Great Reset Agenda. Quote, every day we learn more about this terrible virus and the hard truth is that we're not going anywhere until we're able to vaccinate more Ontarians, end quote. Well, Doug, I'm afraid we have a bit of a problem here. And here's Britain's Dr. Vernon Coleman sending out an urgent message on December 20th regarding that problem. This is the shortest video I've ever made and I think it's probably the most important. I've just seen a report from ACIP COVID-19 Vaccine Work Group at the CDC in America. ACIP is the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. And this is a report on anaphylaxis following mRNA COVID-19 
vaccine receipt and the report includes a table headed V-Safe Active Surveillance for COVID-19 Vaccines. The table lists the number of registrants with the recorded first dose by December the 18th as 112,807 and the number of health impact events as 3,150. Health impact events are defined as individuals, open quotes, unable to perform normal daily activities, unable to work, required care from doctor or health professional, close quotes. That's 2.79% and it's within days of receiving the vaccine. If 60 million people in the UK have the vaccine, we can expect 1.67 million people to be unable to work, unable to perform normal daily activities and to require care. I don't know how long for. If 6 billion people worldwide have the vaccine, then the number rises to 167 million. And this, remember, is a short-term problem. I'm not telling anyone whether or not to have the vaccine. I'm not anti-vax for some odd Luddite reason, but I am pro-science and pro-truth. And I'm doing something that governments won't do. I'm helping people make an informed choice. That's all I've done since March of 2020, and for that I've been banned, libelled and sneered at by the ignorant, the prejudiced and the bought. In my view, what this report means is that the COVID-19 vaccine rollout has to be stopped now. If it's not stopped, then we know what's going on. If governments are really guided by the science, as they claim to be, they have no choice. Well, I wouldn't be holding my breath on that one, Dr. Coleman. Facts don't matter to this agenda. From climate change to COVID, facts don't matter. Now, Dr. Coleman included several links to his source documentation on his site, but I also found the same story reported in the December 20th Epoch Times. Thousands negatively affected after getting COVID-19 vaccine read the headline. And again, the facts in here were just exactly as Dr. Coleman recited them. Health impact events, unable to perform normal daily activities, etc., etc. But this was an interesting line that I found. Quote, the people reporting the negative effects reported them through VSafe, a smartphone application, end quote. Well, remember what Dr. Sandy Leno mentioned on the show last week? In the UK, quote, the MHRA urgently seeks an artificial intelligence software tool to process an expected high volume of COVID-19 vaccine adverse drug reactions, end quote. So you realize what this means. With all of Doug Ford's precautionary bluster about not risking getting the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is completely treatable with therapeutics, by the way, the precautionary principle has been tossed completely out the window when it comes to the vaccine. Which brings us back to Agenda 21 and the Great Reset. On this side of our upcoming bumper is Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson from her December 18th conversation with journalist Alex Newman, on that very topic, while on the return side, Germany's professor Sukarik Bakhti, speaking about COVID-19 with Britain's Francis Foster and Konstantin Kissen on their December 12th edition of Trigonometry.
We have our Prime Minister here in Canada talking about, you know, COVID having brought an opportunity for uh, a great reset. Um, what, how do you see this reset? It is incredibly significant, Laura Lynn. And the fact that your prime minister was talking about it openly, he also brought in another UN slogan that's also now been adopted by Joe Biden, build back better. So the, the crisis gives right. us an opportunity for a great reset to build back better. I mean, these are loaded terms. Your average person doesn't know this because they don't follow the United Nations. These are very, very significant terms. And so to speak on the great reset, just for a moment, we actually have a cover story going to press right now on this subject. And I've written several articles. Um, this on is the, basically on the Liberty the new, Sentinel. Uh, some of that will go up at the Liberty Sentinel. Some of it has gone up on videos, and we have uh, uh, the next cover story for the New American Magazine will be on the Great Reset. I've got a couple articles in there, and some of my colleagues. And um, it, it's so important. It's so huge. It, it is really a rebranding of the New World Order agenda that they've been pushing. I mean, just clear back for decades. They they used to say hey, we need a New World Order. We need a New World Order. Now they say we need a Great Reset. We need a Great Reset. But you know, these are not just random kooks, you know, people in a straight jacket in a rubber room. These are some of the most powerful people on the planet. You've got Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, who's leading the charge. When they unveiled this last summer, I think we, I was one of the very, very few people uh, in the United States to actually report on this. And I was amazed because you have here some of the most powerful people on planet Earth talking about total transformation of everything on the planet and yet not a peep from our media. That was very weird. But even back then, it was clear what was going on. They brought together it, the, the four big speakers at this event. You had uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, who used to lead the Socialist International. This is the most powerful global alliance of Marxist, Socialist, and Communist political parties on the planet. It's an incredibly significant group. Uh, and, and Antonio Guterres, who runs the UN now, led that before taking over the UN. So he was there. And he endorsed the Great Reset and put the weight of the United Nations behind it. You had Kristalina Georgieva, the head of the, the current head of the IMF, uh, Bulgarian communist, long, many, many close affiliations with the former regime uh, that enslaved Bulgaria, slaughtered hundreds of thousands of people, many of them just for being Christian. Uh, so now she's running the IMF. She's promoting this idea of a global currency that they're going to print more SDRs, special drawing rights to save us from the economic crisis they unleashed through their, uh, their COVID measures. And then you had Prince Charles, who of course comes from a family that is fanatically devoted to population control. Uh, his dad actually said if he could be reincarnated, he'd wanna come back as a virus to help deal with the overpopulation crisis. And if you listen carefully to what they said, it was just absolutely loaded. So everything needs to be transformed. They really endorsed this idea of inclusive capitalism without using the term, but they did say business is gonna have to be transformed. It's not enough just to pursue profits and satisfying your customers anymore. Now you have to do the social, the environmental. Basically, you gotta be a woke company. You gotta give money to the causes we believe in. You've gotta wage war on CO2. But I want to highlight just some of the most troubling elements, Lauren, because we could talk about about this for two weeks. But I want to highlight some of the things that most concerned me. And one of those is the transhumanism. And I think for a lot of people, that's a new term. Uh, but it's a very, very significant term. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about it in the years ahead. So Klaus Schwab, uh, when he was unveiling this great reset. He said one of the key components is going to be the fourth industrial revolution. And I had heard that terminology from a lot of these globalists, but I went to go see what has Klaus Schwab himself said and written about the fourth industrial revolution. Well, he's been very transparent about his agenda. He actually wrote a whole book about this. I encourage people who want to know the facts to go read it. Uh, it's just loaded. He's also given talks on this. In fact, I, I did a video recently where I included some segments of his speech uh, and they're not hiding anymore what they're doing. They are talking about literally fusing man with machine. 
They're talking about putting technology under your skin. They're talking about embedding microchips in your skull and fusing them with your brain. And I know you're, you're watching this. You're thinking, that is crazy, Alex. What in the world? I agree. It's completely and totally crazy. And yet this is what they're pushing. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissin. A very special guest we have for you today is the former chair of medical microbiology at the University of Mainz, Dr. Suchara Bagley. Welcome to Trigonometry. Hello. Uh, why aren't you just enjoying life? Why did you feel the need to, to speak out? In March, when the first lockdown was looming, sort of, uh, we thought, this is weird. The situation, there's something wrong about the whole business, the whole story, because um, uh, it's it's out of this world. It it, it cannot be true. Uh, Why not? Why do you say that? Every government in the world seemingly has accepted this idea that lockdowns are the way to deal with this. Why isn't it the right solution? Exactly. That's what we couldn't understand. And that's why we started um, making these videos, uh, trying to reach out uh, to the public, to, to everyone in the social media. Mm, since the mainstream uh, media were certainly going the other way, uh, dragging everyone, uh, what is it, like the Pied Piper, you know, people mm. following the tone of the Pied Piper, but it wasn't the rats anymore. It was the population all around the world, and we couldn't believe it. So we stood up and said, people, now, why do you believe everything you're being told? Why don't you sit down and read and think a bit? Mm, because if you did that, uh, you would very quickly realize that there's something very, very fishy going on. You started, you know, with the definition of what is COVID-19? Originally, COVID-19 was defined as the severe illness caused by a virus named SARS-CoV-2. Right? It was so complicated that, that no normal person could understand what was going on. And that, that was the beginning of the end. Because uh, then, you know, this PCR test came out and became the gold standard for diagnosing uh, COVID-19. Now, anyone who studied, you know, infectious diseases knows that a PCR test cannot be used to diagnose anything. A PCR test is a lab test that may be used to support a diagnosis. And then the terrible thing was that... Um, uh, whenever this PCR test was positive, that person or patient was labeled COVID-19 case. But COVID-19 is the term used for the disease. And that's where everything really started getting crazy because now, it, this, this virus, that's the second thing, this virus was termed a new virus and COVID-19 was termed a new disease. But in fact, 
Neither the virus is really new, nor is the disease really new, because the coronaviruses have been with us, with man, since the beginning of mankind. You know, uh, these are viruses that coexist with us. And so every year and every, every, every few months, a virus will change a little bit because they mutate all the time. They have to mutate, otherwise they can't keep on, you know, um, uh, going back and forth between you and me and animals or whatever you want. So it's a completely normal uh, thing that, that these, these viruses, which are the most successful viruses in the world, together with the flu viruses, by the way, because they manage to keep the host alive. They don't kill the host. They don't want to kill us. They want to come and visit me, and then they want to go and visit the next guy, you know. And um, uh, in order to be able to do this, they, they change very little all the time so that when they come back next year, they come and, and visit me again. Uh, otherwise, my, my immune system, you know, would, 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 would not allow their entry at all. You see, this is something that people don't really understand. So... Um, when we started reading up to see what's going on, uh, we realized that no one knew about this. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Now, I'm going to do something a little unusual for the balance of our show today, and that is to turn the discussion over to another voice, that of Lord Christopher Monckton, who was among the key advisors to Britain's Margaret Thatcher when she was in power, and who has appeared on Just Right on a few occasions. On March 18, 2012, Lord Monckton spoke to supporters of the International Free Press Society of Canada at Windermere Manor here in my own city of London, Ontario, and Just Right Media was there to record the event. And guess what he was talking about? Agenda 21. You can view the entire 45-minute or so presentation on Just Right's YouTube channel, which of course can be accessed from our website. But the part I've selected for you to hear today is utterly haunting. And what makes it haunting is that Lord Monckton's talk was given like in 2012, eight and a half to nine years ago, and when combined with everything we see happening around us today, if the hair on the back of your neck doesn't go up just a bit, then you simply aren't paying attention. Because it pretty much presents an open and shut case about the true nature of this COVID-19 pandemic something that no one could possibly have anticipated in 2012, except that we did. My Lord, that's me, ladies and gentlemen. After that amazingly disconcerting, but unduly flattering introduction, I just can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. A prostitute, a politician, and an engineer were in a bar together discussing which of theirs was the oldest profession. The prostitute said that hers was known to be. The engineer said that God created order out of chaos and that was an engineering feat. And the politician, wearing a, a, a Viscount's coronet and an old Herovian tie, said, and who do you think it was that made the chaos? So I'm now here to introduce a note of chaos into these <laughs> proceedings by suggesting that just because we are told there is a consensus about stuff doesn't mean there is one. 
And if you go back 2,300 years, uh, you're all too young to remember, but at that time, <laughs> Aristotle first wrote down the dozen commonest fallacies in human discourse, logical fallacies. And not the least among these was that fallacy which the medieval schoolmen would later characterize as the argumentum ad populum, the headcount fallacy. You can't determine whether or not a proposition is true at all merely because a lot of people are said to believe that it is true. Whether or not there's a consensus about something tells you nothing about whether or not it's true. And yet today, we are told by the environmentalists, they used to call themselves Marxists, but it sounds so much cuddlier to be environmentalists, that uh, just as they were so certain of their ghastly political system before, so they're now certain of exactly the same ghastly political system now. It's been rebranded and tidied up for the 21st century, but it's the same brand, insisting that only it knows what is best for us and that it is our duty to knuckle under and obey what they call the consensus and which we would call the party line. Now, if you look, for instance, at what is about to happen, which is the Agenda 21 conference at Rio de Janeiro on the 20th anniversary of the Earth Summit, which launched the whole ghastly process of the global warming scare and the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Now they're having a big self-congratulatory jamboree, as usual, down in a nice exotic location with beaches and dancing girls and grass skirts and all the other accoutrements that uh, no scientist these days can be seen without. <laughs> there they will be, and they will be deciding uh, as they have been trying to decide for the last 20 years, that what we need to do is to shut down the West. That's how you can tell that this is essentially the communist agenda all over again. The communists of old would always start by trying to attack the soft underbelly of the West, which is, of course, our energy supply. They organised the miners' trade union in the United Kingdom. They trained Arthur Scargill first at the Patrice Lumumba University of Terrorism in Moscow, and then when they realized he was a cut above the rest, transferred him to the Lenin Institute, where the top terrorists from all around the world, the Yasser Asaf Arafat, the Jerry Adamses, they were all trained there. And then he came back to the UK and began making trouble. It was they who founded, funded and animated the campaign for nuclear disarmament, which was nothing to do with nuclear weapons really. It was to try and turn us off the idea of developing the peaceful uses of nuclear power. So that with the unions having prevented us to using our coal for fossil fuel, they would then also shut down the possibility of developing nuclear power and we would simply run out of energy and be reduced to exactly the same collapsed economic state which they had so gloriously already achieved. <laughs> now this battle, even though the Soviet communism has now gone and good riddance, is still being fought by those whom they planted in the West to fight it. Nobody seems to have told them that hello, communism has gone. You now have 
the same type of people, using the same type of rhetoric, but no longer carrying the baggage of the failed Soviet system. Now, under its rebranding, they're saying, we need to pursue what the UN, in its Agenda 21 document, calls the sustainability agenda. And this new buzzword, sustainability, means you can't do anything if something might run out when you do it. That's it in a nutshell. Now, since we live on a planet from which few of us will have any chance permanently of escaping, because the well of gravity is still too deep for us to claw our way out with any facility, we are dealing with resources, all of which are to some degree or another finite. Everything is running out, including sunlight. This just in. In four and a half billion years, the sun will burn itself out. So, no more sunbathing, because you're running us out of sunlight. <coughs> and they say that we're going to experience peak oil, peak fossil fuels, and everything from there on will be downhill. The fact that this is not true, and will not be true for hundreds or even thousands of years, does not matter. The fact is, we have to fossilise everything, as if they hate fossil fuels so much, this idea of fossilising everything in its place is very strange, but that's what they want. They want no change. They are, in fact, the new Conservatives. They want everything to be as it has always been. Go back to those lovely pictures of rustic Europe painted by the great Dutch masters, with men toiling up and down the fields, with pitchforks and building haystacks and, and uh, harvesting by hand, and it's all a very nice rural myth. But just imagine how many people would have to die in order to bring about that myth of sustainable development. And let's start with the number of people who are dying already because of the myth of sustainable development. If we go back this time to within the lifetime of some of us, the 1960s, when the ban on DDT came in. This was done in the name of sustainability, preserving the environment from the terrible wanton destruction that the release of DDT therein would inevitably cause. Now, of course, this was based, as all these scares are, on bogus science, but they succeeded in the left capturing this issue. They shut down all use of DDT worldwide. And DDT, at the point when they did this, was just about to eradicate malaria altogether. Malaria was on its way out everywhere. Deaths worldwide had fallen to 50,000 a year. Bad enough, goodness knows. But a lot less bad than they had been. When, for instance, most of North America was malarial in the, la in the 19th century. It isn't now because DDT was widely used and eradicated it. That could and should and would have happened everywhere else in the world had it not been for one book by one well-meaning but dopey scientist who got her science wrong, Rachel Carson. And she wrote The Silent Spring. And notice this was not a scientific title published in a peer-reviewed journal. It was an emotive title. 
And here began the process of emotionalizing and making cuddly the killing of tens of millions of people. No longer would you have the jackbooted Nazis walking across the landscape as the Jews were slaughtered. Now you would have children slaughtered, a massacre of the innocents, the like of which innocence, the like of which has never been seen. But this would somehow be all right. Because even if the children were dying, they were dying in the good cause of saving the planet. And what happened? From 50,000 deaths by malaria, before the ban came in, within five years, the deaths from malaria had rocketed again to a million a year. And they have stayed at somewhere around a million a year ever since. In fact, last year, one and a quarter million deaths. And yet, on September the 15th, 2006, Dr. Arata Kochi, the head of the UN's malaria program, announced that he would lift the malaria ban, the DDT ban. He said, in this field, science usually comes second and politics first. We will now take a stand on the science and the data. And he lifted the ban on DDT, and announced that in future it would be once again the front line of defence against the mosquito. And what happened? Nothing happened. Children are the ones that malaria kills, so they continue to die a million plus every year because the left want them to. Because the left, for all the talk of caring, do not care about the little ones of our own species. And so there is your first clue as to what this sustainability agenda is all about. It is a ruthless depopulation agenda. The view is that there are too many of us on the planet and that unless something is done, there will be too many more. All our fellow species will one by one be wiped out and this would be bad news. Well, Dr. Bakhti, I mean, this is a very scary moment for me listening to you. Uh, you're telling me that the whole world has changed because of something that isn't true. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. That's what we wrote in the book. And um, in that book, uh, the last sentences of that book took us a long time to write because we put everything we had in our soul into these words that it is time has come for homo sapiens to stand up and start becoming humans again. This scare, this global panic has caused man to lose reason, to stop thinking. This is the downfall of civilization. Yes. And if we do not, if you do not stand up, take those masks off your face. Grasp each other's hands again. No more social distancing. What absolute, pure, utter nonsense. Because of a virus that has been with us since the beginning of mankind. So, and then... What you do is you go back to your homes, go back to your homes. You have been living 
in such a beautiful country. We have too. If you leave your beautiful homes, you can be sure someone else is going to move in there. So go back to your homes and go back to the old reality, not any new reality. We don't need any new reality. The healthcare system is falling to bits. You and we are not taking care of the people who need the care anymore because all we're doing is hysterically responding to a spook call. Do you feel that the governments have made a decision that is essentially, in, in attempting, as they claim, to save lives, actually what they're doing is killing way more people than they're saving? Of course they are. And I can tell you that uh, lawyers around the world are now going to bring thousands of cases to court and to bring those people to justice. I know that the first um, cases are being filed next week here in Germany. And I know that um, uh, the British are also going to be taken to court. I hope the right ones are going to be taken to court and I hope they are going to be punished because what they are doing is criminal. It is simply criminal. This is what not only I am saying, but thousands and thousands of people are saying and it's not a matter of belief. We know that people have died. We know that people are dying around the world because of these lockdown measures. You know, Millions of people in India have starved to death and are starving to death. And it's simply inhuman to do what they are doing. It is inhuman. We always end our interviews with the last question, which is always the same, which is? What's the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? We should be talking about why and how has our society allowed these things to happen? How and why? And we must strive to get answers to those so that this will never happen again. So what is the truth? The truth which you will not hear spoken at Rio. The truth is quite different, as any demographer will tell you. If you have a population that is poor, it will tend to breed faster than a population that is rich. So if you keep a population poor, or by various policies, including those intended to improve so-called sustainability, you make a rich population poorer again, then you will increase the birth rate. If, on the other hand, you want to stabilise the birth rate of humankind, particularly in the poorer countries where the birth rate is greatest, there is one reliable as well as manifestly humane to, uh, way to do it, and that is to raise the standard of living of the poorest so that it comes up above the poverty line. And in every nation where this has been achieved, regardless of the availability or non-availability of contraception or baby butchering 
or all the other devices for interfering in nature's way. The population has tended towards mere replacement rate rather than rampant growth. And so the problem that I have, the central problem, with the Agenda 21 proposal, as it is put forward by the UN, in the documents which are now being treated by the totalitarian left as their new gospel, is that these documents would make the whole world poorer and would therefore paradoxically achieve precisely the opposite of the intended depopulation effect by bringing about an increase in the population of the very poorest and of course of humanity as a whole. So it's not just that the message of Agenda 21 is politically undesirable and prescriptive and dirigiste and centraliste and étatiste in the extreme. Funny how the French have all the words <laughs> for this kind of thing. It is also, at the economic level, completely wrong-headed. That again was Lord Christopher Monckton back in 2012. And after having assimilated everything we've heard on the show today and more, think about this haunting thought for a moment. Why do we bother having elections? Since all of our countries apparently have signed on to Agenda 21 decades ago, then the agenda's already been set in stone. And any elections held under this reality are mere exercises in futility and pretending that we, the people, have any say in what they, the globalists, are already well underway executing. And it's us that they're executing. Our supposedly elected politicians are all parroting an identical script that, as we've learned, was adopted and accepted as part of Agenda 21. And Ontario Premier Doug Ford and all of the other politicians who are participating in this immoral and unconscionable farce are active agents of a genocidal agenda. I know that's hard to take, but it seems to be the truth. And although 2021 is just around the corner, Agenda 21 is already here. Peace on Earth and goodwill towards men is not what Agenda 21 and the Great Reset are about. They are intentionally and consciously moving the world in the exact opposite direction. And the myth of COVID-19 is just the latest in a series of propaganda and fake information campaigns to bring that about. Not the merriest note to end a show during the Christmas holiday season, I know. But once we have identified clearly the problem, and most importantly, once we make as many people as possible aware of it, we can begin our journey back to a merrier future. One I hope you'll help us reestablish when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Some states are locking back down again. Crazy. Hope that doesn't happen for me, but uh, I don't really care. I wasn't allowed near public parks before any of this happened, so not too different. But, you know, I thought with all this extra time on my hands, it's a perfect opportunity to reach out to some friends I haven't talked to in a while. So I called this girl from high school who was like, not even if we were the last people on earth. Like, hey, did you read the news? <laughs> it's almost time. Call me.